I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, this sucks. out so uh how was uh how's everything for you he had a good uh good year last year yeah yeah no things are going good just uh i think yesterday was our last day out hunting there so it's helping a friend out with a late season cow out tag but yeah nice. we put in some time in the fall there that's for sure yeah it's good yeah i seen uh seen you got a few critters one nice elk beauty elk yeah it was it was a different hunting season that, that's for sure there's a lot of uh land changing hands um around where i'm at and uh yeah there's just there were some big pockets there that didn't have any hunting on so it really changed the pattern so yeah no doubt do you hunt uh, mostly private land or is there some good crown land out there for you no uh outside of uh i i'd say sheep hunting is probably the only public land hunting that i do oh yeah I'm, nice 99 uh, private land hunter yeah that's cool yeah, I, my buddy is bugging me. He's going to buy me the hunting ethos private land hunter hat. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yeah. yeah. Apparently yeah, that would... sold out. Oh, yeah. 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 What kind of uh, what, sheep up there? Is, there? is there an open season for sheep for you guys or is it uh, all draw? No. So most of the mountain zones are open, like north of the Bow River opens up. Uh, august 25th and runs till october 31st oh yeah um, that's all over the counter tags and then uh south of the bow river it's the first wednesday after labor day weekend it just they say it helps minimize hunter recreational user contact after uh just postponing it after the labor day weekend there right and then goes to october 31st and then there's a few late season uh draws limited entry that you can get going on that uh run right till november 30th Actually, yeah they even go into december up on the cataman mine there oh is that right wow yeah. late yeah so those are all rocky mountain you guys you guys have over there right eh? yeah yeah that's that's all we have yeah there's no doll sheep up along the the border up top no uh because i 
I'd have to look, but I'm pretty sure there's a like the range that runs through ours um, kind of ends right up by like the Wilmore Grand Cache area. Right. And so there's no thin thin horns there. It's a little farther to the west there where their range is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what part of the province do you live in? I, I live in Oak Oak, so I'm 10, 15 minutes south of Calgary. Yeah. So deep yeah, the, south here. Yeah. The, the warmer part. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Saturday we were plus seven. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy here too. It was like eight degrees here today, but we're probably about the same. We're probably about the same. I think it, if you look on a map, Kelowna. Okay, yeah, my uh, my sister lives in Kona. Oh, nice. Yeah, up on uh, I think it's called Quail Ridge. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. There. Yeah, by the golf course. Yeah, on the golf course is uh, oh. the, where they're at. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Yeah, we have to get out and visit her. So it's been a while for us. Yeah. Well, on that note, why don't we uh, we we go back a bit? Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I've been involved with hunting and archery my entire life i was born and raised in a a family that runs an outfitting business um i had my first bow in my hand at two years old um there's pictures of me four years old holding whitetail heads up and yeah my grandparents are super active in in the hunting industry and my grandpa guided and outfitted up in the territories late 60s into the late 70s there for south mahani and then come back here and he started his own outfitting business. And I grew up in that. And as soon as I was 12 years old and I could bow hunt, I, I started bow hunting. Um, got into a lot of competitive archery shooting uh, through junior high and high school. And then that kind of petered out when I went to university down in the States. Come home from school and just kept bow hunting. And I'm just past couple of years starting getting more involved in, in 3D again and doing that. So it's a lot of fun, but. I chase whatever's open for a yeah. season, that's for sure. No doubt. Have you ever rifle hunted? Uh no, I've I've shot one animal with uh, a rifle and that was a cougar at about five feet. And uh <laughs> that was out of necessity. Yeah. Oh it's right. <laughs> in that moment it was either a cougar, a person, or a dog that was gonna die. So we made a quick decision. It started out as a bow hunt and uh, the cat was really high up in the tree and bit longer shot and he was quartering away and i clipped the limb and hit him back and we had to run him again and, and oh yeah on the ground yeah. yeah that's the only one. Oh well yeah my buddy had a run out with a cougar a couple years ago got a little yeah. too close to him but he he uh he missed it but yeah, yeah we're sneaky i yeah. have nothing against rifle hunting it's just where our ranch is i i grew up in an archery only zone oh yeah so yeah out the backyard and just hunt with a bow type thing so yeah, that's nice. That's one thing BC lacks is like we don't really have an archery season. I mean, I, I know a lot of the guys that are rifle hunters, they hate listening to me talk about this. But I mean, it's true. It'd be nice if we had more archery only zones or like longer archery seasons. But here, like we have nine days. It's our archery season. Then we have a, like a late season whitetail archery hunt in a lot of other management units. But yeah. Yeah, we don't have my brother. He he lives out in Alberta. Um, he actually 
he didn't bow hunt until he moved out there. He moved out there quite a while ago and he didn't actually bow hunt at all. And then just out of necessity for, you know, he, he wanted more opportunities to hunt. So he ended up getting into bow hunting and, um, yeah, I, I, I wish they definitely had, uh, had more opportunities for, for bow season here. I think it would help too, is like the declining numbers and a lot of, with a lot of animals, but I mean, I, I don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't really know how much, how much that would really impact. I think there's other factors that key into that, you know, to the low numbers more than, more than hunters. Well, you know, it's funny that, you know, when you, when you talk about archery seasons um, and introducing one, a lot of people get, you know, up in arms that you're taking opportunity away from them. But if you add in um, a separate LEH just for archery, you're actually adding opportunity um, and, and the math supports it. So like here in Alberta, uh, the biologists say they, you know, let's use round numbers. They want to kill a hundred animals in a zone and they're, um, you know, they're going to say that the success on whitetail or success with rifle there is 80%. So they're going to give out 125 tags at 80 80% success to kill hundred animals. But if you take that hundred animals you want dead, allocate, you know, 20% to bow hunters and 80% to rifle, you know, those, those 80 animals you want killed at the 80% success is still a hundred pegs. Yeah. But then for bow hunters, if you say, you know, let's be generous and say they're 40% successful that that's 50 tags. So now you have 150 tags and right. 25. That is and a good point. Further that, I mean, there's a lot of people um, that you would pull out of the main draw too. There's a lot of diehard bow hunters. Like I'm in a lot of these LEH draws, but I'm a diehard bow hunter. So if you made me pick between the general rifle draw or a, uh, a bow archery only draw, I'm going to pick the archery one. So now I'm yeah. out of that main pool. Um, and it's just going to reduce the numbers even further. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I agree with that 100% because of my, myself too. I, I mean, I've, I've been bow only now for just a couple of years, but I would just stick to, to those, uh, LEH opportunities as well. And yeah, you're going to give, if there's more guys just putting in for those LEH and they're not putting in for the rifle, then the rifle hunters are going to get more opportunity to get those draws. Well, in, in the archery only zones, um, in Alberta, uh, there's one around Calgary, which is 212, WMU 212. There's one around Edmonton, which is, uh, it's a split zone. It's 247, 248. And then you have the mountain zone, Canmore, which is 410. So all the archery zones are surrounding major urban centers. So your option is you have no hunting or you have archery hunting. Mm -hmm. So again, it's still providing more opportunity. And I think that's one of the places that, uh, you know, archery only zone should be really looked at carefully is these urban centers. Like I live in Oak Tokes and they don't know how to control the deer population in the town. Yeah. And it's, it's getting out of control. And, and when you have that kind of deer population, not only is there the human wildlife interaction aspect of it, but now we're getting a large number of cougars in town because mm -hmm. that's where the food source is. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, it's funny too. It's hard to get a lot of people like that aren't in the hunting space to see the correlation between like more, like more like down here, you know, we get more, we get more predators showing up and they don't see the correlation between that and anything else other than like 
they're just they're just here. They don't see the fact that like black bears, they don't see the fact that the black bear numbers are increasing. They don't see it the fact that well, I mean like you 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 don't want black bears picking out your garbage. Put your fucking garbage away, really. Like yeah. That's pretty simple, but you know, it's funny. They just don't see the correlation between a lot of things. If you're not in the hunting space and you're not actually in that space where, you know, you get a bird's eye view of like, of what's, what's going on with animals and how they interact with other animals on the landscape. Well, I think part of the reason too is, you know, who was it? I think it was Steve Ranella's brother put out an article or a podcast saying that, you know, social media is um, ruining hunting. But I think it's mainly because a lot of, you know, a lot of hunters just try and fly under the radar and don't post a lot of the pictures that are hitting the mainstream media. Like, you know, there's the guys riding the animals or putting cigarettes in their mouth and that's hitting mainstream media and social yeah. media. Yeah, that's that's not my personal beliefs is that's not right and that's not respectful to the animal. Maybe that, you know, doesn't shouldn't even happen, let alone get the internet, but you know, then there's the regular guys just out there having fun and, you know, being respectful and acting tastefully, I guess. But now we're getting into ethics and morals and that's all up to one individual person, right? So. Yeah, but but you are right. It's easier for somebody to pick out something that's negative. So if you're, if you're, if you're sitting on the outside and you're, 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 you don't agree with hunting and you see a post of a guy doing, you know, defacing an animal or doing something in a negative way towards an animal that's way easier to to take and turn around in your favor than it is to take a picture of a father and a son and his son's first deer do you know what i mean like it's it's way easier for them to pick it on and that's why you know i always try to encourage guys like hey if you're gonna if you're gonna post make sure it's classy you know but a lot of guys just don't care they a lot of guys just say you know what it's my right i can do whatever the fuck i want and i post this stuff from my friends if they don't like it don't look at it i don't care who it offends and unfortunately that's a that's a not a great attitude to have in hunting space well and and you touched on another point there um the pictures the pictures themselves i i honestly cherish the pictures more than you know the antlers or the mount because if you think about it uh, if if my children get into hunting the way I am, or even a you know half of that, they're going to kill their own animals, right? And they're going to want to hang their animals in their house. They're not going to want mine in the house. And so you know the realistic fact is that these mounts and antlers will probably end up in you know a Bass Pro or uh, a dump one day. Mm-hmm. But they're going to hold on to the pictures, and, and that's why I always try and take a lot of pictures and make sure they're nice you know take the time set up the animal wipe off the blood because you know with digital copies of pictures they're never going to go away and a hundred years from now my great grandkids are going to be looking at what i'm doing today yeah yeah for sure back in the day when when you could hunt yeah that's a scary (laughs) that's a scary statement but it's it's true i think yeah well you get man it's funny you just get such a like here in bc we got we have our 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 government and they have their point of views and it basically just points to like if you want your meat you should be buying it at a grocery store and it should come from nowhere else right like you shouldn't have guns you shouldn't have you just should have an opportunity to go and kill an animal for yourself and 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 put it on your table and feed your family with it but it's funny because my last guest and i we were talking about how if, it's funny how like people they get grossed off they get absolutely blown away if or they're just disgusted with somebody, you know, pulling the hide off a, off a, you know, off a, a deer or something. But then they can go and pull the wrapper off it 
when they buy in a grocery store really and it's just a piece of meat sitting there you know what I mean? so it's just funny how they how their views how how some people's views are, are are so set in one way and they don't they're just not open to seeing other things and it's funny because like uh i was always under the pressure for the longest time that all annie hunters were vegans like they didn't eat meat like how like it just blew me away like how the heck can you eat meat but it's okay for you to buy in the grocery store but for me to go out and spend the time spend the money and go out and kill a deer go through the whole province process of harvesting it butchering it putting on the food for you know putting it on the table for my family but you're not okay with that yeah yeah it it doesn't make sense and i actually have um a relative and she eats meat loves you know steak chicken pork um is okay with hunting but doesn't want to eat the meat and and she's like i understand this meat is probably incredible but I can't get it through my head that this was a wild animal that you shot and killed and cooked. But she's honest about it. She's like, yeah. I know this sounds stupid and I know it's in my head, but I, I just can't get over it. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And, and I'm not going to force it on her, but uh, she's not against it or any, by any means. And she's honest. She's like, it's, it's in my head and I just can't get over it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's your prerogative, right? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, to each their own, at least, at least, you know, she's honest about it and she says, Hey, I, you know, I am nothing against how you do it. I just prefer not to. And I to each their own, like you said, it's, it yeah. is what it is. And it's, you know, um, sooner or later, maybe she'll come around and try some, but you never know. I know my wife was, uh, it took her a while to come around, but she's not a big meat eater. She eats a lot of mostly vegetables. So, um, but my wife, uh, when I met her, she was almost a vegetarian and it wasn't because she didn't like meat. Um, just the richness of beef was really hard on her stomach and, you know, didn't sit well with her and, and, uh, she started eating wild game. And I honestly think our meat bill in a year is less than $200. And it's, you know, the odd pork shoulder to make some pulled pork or some chicken breast. But outside of that, we eat wild game. Yeah. Same with us. Like we don't, I would like beef. I, I won't eat like, I mean, I will eat beef. Somebody, if I'm at somebody's house and they serve me some a burger or something, I'll eat it. Or, but I mean, we don't buy beef. We buy the same thing, a little bit of chicken here and there, but yeah, I mean, it's up to me putting food in the freezer. So it was kind of nice this year. My son, he got his, he got his license. So he was able to help out with a few tags and fill, fill our freezers, which was nice. But oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's good. That was, uh, that was great going out with him and sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was. It's, uh, it was a whole new experience and it and you know I, i've talked about it on the show it's it, it's when you're out hunting with yourself you do a lot of things and you don't even th- they, like after a while they become second nature and you don't even think about why you're doing it but when you're out with somebody you know who's 10 years old and ex- but i mean like he's been coming out with me since he was four right like i've yeah. been taking him out checking trail cameras but it's a lot different when you're actually tracking animals and you're you know you're stalking it on animals it's completely different so uh there's a lot of yeah a lot of i had to keep reminding myself like oh, okay i gotta I got explain to this guy why we're doing this or you know like don't do this don't do that don't step here step here you know it's just like it was yeah. like the whole time i constantly was like just having to nag at him but yeah, it's just, you just take those things for granted over time, you know, and you learn them the hard way and then you don't even think, but that's over a lifetime of doing it. And, you know, you're trying to smash all this into a 10 year old's head or, you know, not, not maybe not even a 10 year old, but just a new hunter in general, you got to keep reminding yourself that, Hey, you know, like this is all new for this person. So, uh, you got to just take it slow. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine at a 3d shoot here on the weekend 
and he actually did something and and I really liked it. So he took his son out hunting, but he told his son, okay, you're my guy. You're calling the shots. You're telling us where we're going. When we see the animal, you're telling me how we're going to move in on them. And, you know, that I think putting a kid in that position is really going to make them think a lot more than just going through the pieces. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a good, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to try that. He's already looking forward to spring bear here in a couple months, spring turkey. So, yeah. And I got my daughter's turning 10 too, and she turns 10 in July. So right away she said, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday and she said her hunting license. So perfect. Yeah. So you guys in BC, you can't, uh, bait bears. So do you run them with dogs or do you spot and stalk? Spot and stalk or call. Most of mostly I do spot and stalk. I do calling like a lot of calling. Um, but, uh, most of the time it's spot and stock. That's usually the most effective. I, I think like the guides and stuff, they do a lot of, uh, running dogs. Um, so I, I've never, I've actually, to be honest, I've never even, I've never even, I don't even know anyone who runs, who runs dogs with them. I don't, I don't know how easy it is. Like I, I've hunted cougars, uh, with dogs and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the same. I, I imagine it wouldn't be any different minus the fact that it's in the, you know, that it's in the warmer weather, but um, for the most part, yeah, I think, I think with bears, well, from what I've seen, you know, they get their number one self-defense is they're going to climb a tree if, you know, if it gets to the point where they're close enough. So the guy that I was just helping here with the late season, Cal uh, he, uh, he has a friend that, and they go out and take Americans. They have a outfitting business and they run bears with dogs out in BC. Um, and he said, sometimes they do treat. Uh, and he said a lot of other times the bear will just walk and he'll have, you know, six dogs behind him, and you're literally trying to get in front of them and just let that bear walk past you. Uh, especially when it's a really big bear and he showed me some videos after seeing those videos. I don't know if I do it with a bow, <laughs> like there, there's a video and this has to be, you know, a seven foot black bear. Um, I think he said it was, you know, touching on 21 like it was a big boar and it's big <sighs> and it's just smacking these dogs around yeah and, and the dogs just like this one dog gets hit and it goes down and it kind of stumbles around a bit and it gets up and it's right back in there yeah the they're crazy those animals have is unbelievable yeah oh yeah it's insane and yeah they're just relentless yeah i had a buddy he was he uh he got into running dogs so I was helping him. We were chasing cougars. It was quite the learning experience. A couple of rookies out there with these dogs trying to track down cougars. <laughs> Man, I've, I've been on two cat hunts where I've shot my own cat. And then I went and uh, photographed another one. And that is the most artistic form of hunting I've ever seen. Like watching those dogs work is absolutely incredible. Yeah. It is just mind-blowing how they can figure out a track oh this the nose on those things yeah blows me away like you just you find you got to find the freshest track and that's what we were doing we we're going to find the freshest track we could and we put the dog on it and it'd be gone yeah and it's and just gone and like, it's funny like the first time we did it we set the dog off and then it was like getting dark i'm like dude where's this dog like i'm starting to get worried i'm like well fuck <laughs> like we had to leave the dog overnight we came back the next morning we found the dog it was just like made a little bed and it was right 
right where the GPS said it was. But, you know, that whole night I was like, man, I wonder if that dog's okay. I feel kind of bad because we sent it out after that cat. And now it's now it's sitting out there. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it didn't seem to bother him one bit. No, they're, they're incredible animals. And I've never seen an animal hate another animal more than, oh. than hound. Yeah. Like there's, you see these videos on um, Instagram and Facebook where these dogs are literally climbing trees. And I sent a video I came across to my buddies, the cat's climbing the tree and the dog is holding on to the cat's tail as this cat's climbing the tree. And it wouldn't let go. Yeah. Yeah, you see some crazy videos. I've seen some. I've seen some crazy videos of uh, they're just going, going. But then finally, the cat has enough. It jumps down, and I've seen a couple where they've gotten pretty. The cat got a hold of a couple dogs, and they get pretty beat up. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, you think of what a house cat does will do to your arm if it uh, takes a swat at you. Imagine something that's 150 pounds. <laughs> oh no, I, I couldn't even imagine it would tear you up real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily they're, luckily they're only hunting, you know, they're light. So you can still, you know, you can fight a bit, but that's not like a grizzly getting a hold of you where you're just defenseless or, you know, like a seven foot black bear. Yeah. There's not much you can do there. So you, uh, you said you got spring turkey and bear. What else you got lined up for the year? Uh, so that'll fill our spring and then it all depends on LEH straws, but, uh, Elk always elk, mule deer, whitetail are kind of a given every every fall, and then it all depend. Uh, it'll all depend on LEH applications and draws and stuff. So it all depend on like moose, caribou, um, sheep, goat. All depends. Like I put in for those, so it all depends. Yeah. What what you know what draws I get. So but elk, um, yeah, elk, muley, and whitetail are always a given. So looks like. Heck of a mule deer there behind you hanging on the wall. Uh, yeah, that's the whitetail. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that was a rifle. I got that one with a rifle. I got that in. Uh, well, I'm not gonna say where I got it, but uh, yeah, probably not <laughs> it, a good idea. Yeah, it's 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 it was a it was funny because I uh, that mule deer I didn't even know that mule deer was there when we were glassing I was glassing a different mule deer and we're I was moving in to stock on the mule deer I was where I was watching and all of a sudden that one popped up closer it kind of bumped him and he just stood up and did a typical mule deer thing stood up ran up the hill turn around and I got a shot off yes. so yeah yeah the the old mule deer look back is their fatal mistake yeah yeah you know you don't get that you know, unfortunately you don't get that with whitetail no, oh, I, I haven't any. Yeah, elk too. No, no elk. Uh, yeah, elk. Once they see you, they'll they'll maybe take a second or two to check to figure out what you are. But once they decide to leave, they're they're hard to get back. And so, like, not asking specific locations, but like, how far do you have to travel? Like, say, if you want to go chase elk, like, are you within a couple hours? Or do you oh yeah, there's elk. Or? Yeah, I mean basically once you get out of city limits you can hunt elk okay. um down in the, the area of the province where i am yeah so myself personally i i don't hunt around here there's a lot of hunting pressure yeah so i'll you know i have my own areas they're about an hour and a half two hours um to get to my typical typical spots um i just find there's just less hunting pressure harder to get to but less hunting pressure so but it's close enough you can do a weekend hunt type thing it's not oh yeah weaker yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Most of our stuff is, uh, is just a weekend. We get out with the family and stuff and my folks have a place close by, so it makes, it's nice. And, uh, um, yeah. And I mean, even if you wanted to do a day trip, you know, you get like during the whitetail season, it gets, you know, it's dark at eight o'clock in the morning and then three o'clock, it's pretty much dark again. So, you know, there's no, you, you can easily leave here at, you know, I could leave my house at six and become there comfortably hunting before light. And then, you know, same on the way back, you're home before dinner. So it's not too bad. I think that's a huge part um, of people's success, you know, being able to get those hunts in after work or on the weekends. And I mean, yes, there's people that go out and, you know, go to a brand new spot for a week and they have killed giant animals. Um, but I think the guys that can get it done time and time again are hunting areas that are close enough to them that they can be consistent uh, where they're at and when they're out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. And like, I'm pretty fortunate. I do end up punching a lot of tags, but I also put a lot of days in. So like, even when I'm hunting, like even in the spring, when we're hunting black bear, I'll be, I'll leave work at two o'clock and then hunt all hunt till dark and then, you know, drive home and get up and I'll do the same thing. And I'll do that every day. So, you know, if the kids got baseball practice till that's the only thing that will maybe stop me from, from getting out there, but any, any opportunity I get, I'll be out there hunting. Yeah. So it's nice to have those spots that are close to home for sure. Especially with bow hunting. Yeah. 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 With bow hunting, you definitely like my first year, the first year I decided I was like, okay, I, I got to, because you know, it was transitioning into, you know, with bow, you, you shoot a bow because you get that extra nine days and you get that extra late season draw, you get, you know what I mean? Like you're out there yeah. September 1st rather than September 10th. And then you get to hunt December 1st rather than pack it up November 30th. So you're always, you know, you, you're bow hunting, but for the rest of the year, you're always just well, like myself anyways, you, you're rifle hunting. And then you start, you know, you picking up things and you get, you know, you start getting animals. You're like, Oh, I want to make this a little more challenging. So then you get into, you know, you start saying, okay, well, let's go get this with a bow. And then, you know, you might get a, you might get an elk in September or October, and then you might get one animal, but then when it, you know, you always have the rifle and, and it seemed like for years, I was always packing my rifle and my bow with me. Yeah. And if you do that, you always end up with a rifle because it's like, you know what, it's, you're on a five day hunt and it's the last day. And you're like, well, you know, I spent all the time. I took time off work. I spent all this money on food. I'm taking time away from my family. Like you want to see results and, you know, granted, um, it's nice. Well, I mean, it, it is nice to, to punch a tag. So you end up pulling it out. And then there, there was one year where I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to sight my gun in this year. I'm just going to go with my bow. And I did it. And it was hard. I mean, it, it's, uh, I definitely had a lot more frustrating days, but I mean, when you, when you're successful, it outweighs you for, you quickly forget all those neg you know, the days where you missed or you blew a stock or you, you know, you, you didn't get the wind right, or you, you didn't take a shot that maybe you could have taken a shot. You know, there's just so many variables when you're bow hunting, uh, but you forget all those once you start, you know, once you, once you get a bow kill. And I mean, like I've said it before and I'll say it again, there's no better feeling than getting an animal with your bow. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Like I remember, there isn't a single animal that I've killed that I don't remember the hunt like it happened yesterday. Yeah. 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 You just, just have such a connection with, and it's hard to explain until, until you actually do it and go through it. And if you're, if you're, if you're dedicated to bow hunting, I mean, you have to do it year round. It's not something where you can just two weeks, you know, uh, oh, we're going hunting. I better pull my rifle out and clean it and then go down and 
sighted in down the local range, right? Throw 10 bullets at the target and you're good to go. You have to put in, it's a lifetime. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an everyday process. You have to be out shooting your boat every single day. And, and that's one thing, like getting more involved in 3d, uh, the past couple of years, I really feel that it's helped me become not a better bow hunter, but a better shot when I'm bow hunting. Right. Uh, you know, just that muscle memory and repetition. Uh, not only that, but, um, you know, you get in those high pressure situations where you're maybe in the same group as, um, a guy you're competing against and, you know, he's a couple points ahead. You're a couple points ahead. And, you know, that pressure can weigh on a guy no different than no boil stepping out at 40 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. The 3d tar. And they, another thing is they help with angles. Yeah. Um, judging, um, you know, judging arrow path, stuff like that. Right. Because it's one thing to sit out in my front yard and shoot 70 yards every day. But when I'm hunting, I could be 40 yards away from an elk and there's a lot of shit going on between me and the elk, right? There's wind, there's trees, there's branches. So there's so many variables. And when you're doing 3d shots, and that's the nice thing too, is it's not set at it at a specific number. You have to range the target. It's not a specific number. It's, you know, it's 37 or it's 52 or it's 48 or whatever it is, right? It's not an even number, which is, which is the same as when you're, it's the same variables as when you're hunting, minus the fact that, you know, you don't have to worry about wind or smell and here's, you know, yeah. hearing and all the other million other, other things that could go wrong. But, you know, it, it, it is really good for practicing. Like there, there's no better way to, to prepare for a hunt than a 3d shoot. Oh, absolutely. And, um, I told my one friend, he's like, Oh, why can't it happen to me? You know, I see these guys killing these big animals. I just, I wish it could happen to me. I said, it takes a million things have to go right to get that hero picture. And it takes one thing to go wrong mm-hmm. for it to be just a story. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And, and yeah. it comes, I tell people all the time too, it, man, it just comes down to putting time in good things are going to happen. Yeah. If you're out there not, and you're grinding away, you're not going to quit. If you know, if it gets tough, it, if you get busted, just keep grinding away. Go as long as you can, go as hard as you can. And good things will happen. If you know, you, if you, if you get discouraged or you say, yeah, there's not going to be any animals out there anyway, then you're never going to know. You're not going to, you're not going to be successful. If you're sitting in your backyard, drinking a Budweiser, oh, you got to exactly. get out there. And just the more times you're out there, statistically, you're better off. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think they, I think the odds are like on BC anyway, I think it was like one in every 29 time what or for one deer, it's like 29 days. You got to be, you got to put into hunting. Like that's the statistics of like days hunted and successful tags punch, but no, and obviously the better hunters are going to, you know, they're going to push that number down, but I mean, they only got to be better hunters from just putting in the, the hundreds of days previous to that. So and when you, if you were to factor in that average, they're probably around the same as well. Well, and you always hear the saying that, you know, 95% of the elk are killed by 5% of the hunters. And I think that's true because there's only 5% of the people that are willing to do what it takes. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100% man. Yeah. I started scouting, um, you know, right after the July long weekend by then, you know, I have a pretty good idea when I glass up a deer, um, mm-hmm. see a bowl of what it's going to turn into be. And so, you know, I can start figuring out, you know, where I want to focus my time, what animals I want to pattern. And 
from July until September, I'm two or three nights a week, you know, burning up the back roads, yeah, sitting sitting on the side of the gravel road watching animals to pattern them. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. And that's what it takes. It takes that, it takes that constant grind. And that's the thing that a lot of guys don't see, right? They might see a post or picture, see, say, Oh yeah, you, you shot this and you shot that and you did it good. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't also see the other hundred days I had to put in to get that. Yeah. Right. And every day me being out shooting my bow, doing this, or, you know, making sure that I was prepared physically, mentally for everything else that's going to happen. And not only that, you got to, if you're, if you're at home and you got wives and you got kids and you got work and you have other obligations, you got to make sure that all your other ducks are in a row just to give you the opportunity to get out there. Cause if they're not, there's no way, if you're, if shit's not buckled down at home, there's no way you're going to, you know, there's no way you're going to have a home to come to when you get back. Yeah. Um, I made it very clear to my wife before we got married, what hunting means to me. And uh, on the inside of her wedding band, it's uh, it's engraved and it says yours until the season starts. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's good. I got a good woman too, but um, you know, there, there is definitely things at home. You got to make sure you have. But that's, you have a, that's a nice thing. Like my son will be five in May. And even this last summer, you know, instead of just going out and doing trail cameras, I was taking them with me. Yeah. And, you know, he got excited to see what was on the cameras and uh-huh. then I would take them and, we'd set up ladder stands together yeah and he's at that age now that i can incorporate him um into my passion and yeah that's fueling it and creating that passion for him um we have a stand that uh is pretty close to our ranch house and it's an elevated box blind it's eight feet by eight feet by eight feet it's carpeted it has plexiglass windows like it's pretty cushy yeah Um, nice and i took him out we went hunting three times the first time we went out, we seen 27 deer and there was just, there was no good bucks. Um, but he almost got mad at me. Cause he's like, dad, shoot that one, shoot that one. <laughs> but I didn't buy any doe tags. All I had was my general whitetail tag. Right. And, uh, I think the biggest buck we saw was, you know, maybe a 130, 140 whitetail. And so after that, I went and bought some doe tags, um, just to, you know, really make a hunt out of it for him. And of course, the second time we go out, we didn't see a single animal. Yeah. Uh, and then the third time we went out, um, I actually shot a doe and he got to sit on the chair and watch it. And I saw the doe pile up in the field and there was, you know, a little bit of snow on the ground. So we got down and I showed him the blood and I made him follow the blood. And uh, we got some pepperoni made out of it. And anyone that walks through the front door of our house, he's beeline it for the freezer to get a pack of pepperoni to give it. Uh, to them and he's just so proud of that yeah yeah no doubt man yeah it's 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 awesome when you can get your especially your kids and like i have three kids and we you know i made it a point with my wife like hey we got to get these kids involved in the outdoors and from the time my oldest was young all the way up to when my youngest is the age he is now they've always been active in the outdoors we go out you know even if it's just going out for a hike we'll just okay well let's pack a lunch today and let's go out and we'll just look for deer scatter you know what i mean let's go just go name some birds or we'll go fishing or doing, you know, doing anything or just the same thing, like checking trail cameras. A lot of times I'll take all three kids out, check the trail cameras and mom could, she could just have the day to herself. So yeah, things like that. They're, you know, they're really great. You can't beat it. And it's just such a good way to get kids active involved in the outdoors, especially as they get a little older, they just seem to be glued into these freaking video games. So it's nice to get them disconnected from that for a while. And I think a lot of people might think it's hard and, it might be the individuals that, you know, only get four or five days a year to hunt. Mm-hmm. So they want to make most of it. 
but to me, like if I took my son out hunting, you know, when a, an elk came out and he's like, Oh dad, look at the elk and the elk blows out. I, I don't care. That was an yeah. experience for him. Right. And I don't know. We just always, we've never let our kids hold us back from anything. We just take them with us. Like my wife drew uh LEH um, non-trophy sheet tag. And this is a whole nother controversy of whether you should shoot use and, and whatnot, but she drew the tag and it was September and I threw my son in the backpack and we went up the mountain to go try and kill a sheep. And he was, he was only 14 months old. Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, we didn't even see a sheep that yeah. day, but it was just a lot of fun getting out there and doing it. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I remember we, we'd be in the middle of summertime going out fishing or, you know, going out, just doing anything, going check trail cameras, the same thing. My daughter meant be eight weeks old. Yeah. I have her in the backpack and, you know, just carrying around, getting her in the fresh air and just getting her exposed to the outdoors. But, you know, they definitely learned like my oldest son, he's 10. He, well, he's just turned 11 now, but um, yeah, I mean like that's the biggest part for him. And, you know, a lot of, this is what he said. Like this, he's like, I can't wait for spring to start. And I was like, Oh, spring baseball. No spring bear. So yeah, you know, and spring Turkey. And yeah, it's great. It's great when he, when he does that, my kids are all the same thing. They've been shooting. They, I put bows in their hands really, really early because uh, that was one of the things I was like, you know what, you got to learn to bow hunt because there's probably not going to be any rifle hunting yeah. um, with all the stuff that's going on. Um, especially here in Canada with all these, with all this crap going on with the guns and stuff. It's uh, um yeah, it's it's not good, and and that's a, th- a lot of guys who are bow hunters might think that it doesn't affect them, but you know you start taking more and more hunters out of our out of our equation, and that's just less voice and less presence we have when it comes to you know um, political decisions that are made. So yeah, absolutely, because there's power in numbers, right? Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I love about hunting is there is no participation trophies. Mm-hmm. And I think that teaches um, today's youth, you know, valuable lessons that, you know, mother nature doesn't care how hard you worked, how many times you were out there. If you didn't do it right, you didn't, you know, didn't do the necessary steps to come out the winner. You're not a winner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, unfortunately the society, like, it's lacking because it wasn't like that. Like if we didn't win, we didn't get a medal. I remember that growing up playing sports, doing anything. If, if you didn't win, you didn't get the trophy. And that yeah. was it. You didn't, you know, if you placed last, you didn't get a medal. Yeah. You didn't get a badge. It was it. Now it just seems like, you know, they just, there's no, there's no, like, they're just, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that they're just like, it's teaching kids not to push and persevere. Like, just like if you, if you didn't get it this time, work your ass off and yeah. work as hard as you can to get it the next time. That's what I learned from it growing up. If I wanted something and I didn't get it, I I worked my butt off to get what I wanted. I didn't just say, oh, you know what? I I just showed up and I get this. I got it. So, you know, that's all I have to do. But when you get in the real world, that's not how it works. No, exactly. And, you know, it teaches, it teaches the, you know, the kids how to manage their emotions when they don't win. Yes. And, and they don't get that participation trophy because... Um, if you give a kid something every time he shows up, I mean, they're just expecting it, right? And then they yeah. go into the real world and now they're throwing hissing fits because for whatever reason. Right? Well, I mean, and you see it and why, why should I go to work when I can just make money sitting at home? So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, uh, social media. I've, I've really actually enjoyed watching TikToks and, uh, um, 
I guess the more of the one kind of TikTok you watch, the more they show up. And uh, there's one that showed up the other day and it's like, you know, you tell your kids they can do anything they want to be. Um, and all they have to do is, you know, dream it. But then it's like, well, why aren't you doing that? Dad? Why aren't you living out your dream? And it's like, be the example for your kids. Uh-huh. Don't just tell them they can be anything. And, and like, I see your uh, Instagram stories, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, running and working out and doing all that. It's like, be the example for your kids. Don't mm-hmm. just tell them they can do it. Show them that it can be done. Um, you know, I do what I do. And I, the reason I show it is because I just want people to, you know, I'm just trying to motivate people in my kids too. like, Hey, if you want something, you're going to have to work your ass off for it. Nothing's going to come easy. Nothing's going to be given to you. Um, if you want it, you got to work for it. And that's the only way, that's the only, that's the way the world is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, maybe we'll dive into a little bit of archery here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I want to talk a bit about like your, what you're doing right now. Season ends. Most people just take their bow and they'll put it away. They'll hang it up. You know, they're not, they're not getting super serious about it yet, but the problem is as the older you get, I find it's a little harder to draw your bow back. You get a stiff and you're more prone to injuries. If you don't, if you don't stay with it, if you're not putting in the reps, being consistent, doing all this stuff. So kind of just talk a bit about like what, how you maintain throughout the year. Yeah. So right now, um, really unfair question to ask because I'm hitting my bow really hard right now. I am completely changing everything from last year and it's going to be a whole new setup this year. So the last, I have all the parts. Uh, the last thing I'm waiting for is my bow to show up. Um, this year I'm going to go with the Bowtech SS 34. I like, well, you know, I'm not a speed freak. Um, I like, a longer axle that's a bow a nice brace height you know it's forgiving um i'm not a whitetail hunter i'm more of an elk spawn mm-hmm. stock mule deer mountain hunter so forgiveness is key but uh yeah this week i'm cutting all new arrows um setting everything up so you know i'm tinkering in my basement just about every night paper tuning changing the weighting on my stabilizer setup you know shooting at five ten yards seeing how that feels how the pin holds um, just south of me here, 40 minutes is stably, uh, and every Thursday night you go down there and I think it's $40 a year for a membership. And then every Thursday night you go down and, uh, $10, you get to shoot two rounds of 21 targets of 3d. Nice. So I'm trying to do that as much as I can. Um, yeah, we just had a 3d shoot this past weekend, uh, coming up at the end of the month. There's the Ironman shoot uh, down in Lethbridge, which is going to be incredibly difficult. I've never done it before. But on Saturday, you shoot, I believe it's, the rounds are 20 targets of 3D, and you shoot two of them on Saturday. And then you shoot uh, two rounds of Vegas 300 style. And then there's a cash shootout on paper and a cash shootout on 3D Saturday night. And then Sunday, you shoot another round of 3d and another round of paper. And then if you make it into the, you know, the top spots, then you shoot out, um, at the end of that too. So it's called the Ironman for a reason and I'm going to give it a go, but just with all the tinkering I'm doing, I'm shooting, you know, three, four five times a week in my basement and then mm-hmm. 3d on top of that. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so all year you shoot and you shoot what you shoot like your hunting setup is your hunting setup do you do you deviate from do you have like a 3d setup 
and a hunting setup, or you just stick with your hunting setup? The only difference between my 3D setup and my hunting setup is broadheads. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of a lie. Um, I do take my quiver off and I run a hip quiver in 3D. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You don't find that it's hard to it's hard to adjust to the offset weight when you put your quiver back on, or you no, just shooting? Because I shoot a back bar, um, a back stabilizer. And so all I have to do is adjust the angle. Uh, yep. So when I run a quiver, it, it's out a little bit further mm-hmm. to counterbalance a bit. And then when I shoot 3D, I move it in a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Set. But yeah, I, tuck I it started, in. yeah, I started shooting 3D just to become a better hunter. Um, and I enjoy it. 3D is a lot of fun. Yeah, they are. And it's nice to see it kind of sucked there with COVID. It was kind of like, it, you know, and I, I was really worried that a lot of these 3D tournaments and these 3D events weren't gonna, because you know, with COVID, man, a lot of things died and yeah. they're done. They never, you know, they're just not coming back. It is what it is. And I was really afraid that, you know, the 3D, a lot of the 3Ds, they were just, because they, they're a lot of work. There are a lot of volunteers there are a lot of money and it takes a yeah. lot. It takes a real big coordinated effort by a lot of dedicated people to make it happen. And uh, I was really afraid that those weren't going to come back, but I'm glad to see that they are. And they're, you know, it's good to see, especially this year. I know last year was kind of wishy-washy because we didn't know what's going on, but this year it's good to see them run full bore. I can't wait. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, that's really got me shooting more is, is one of my good friends, um he's an archery nerd and everything has to be exactly perfect so before i met him i would go into an archery center i would buy the pre-fletched arrows with blazers straight fletched out of the bucket buy them i i broadhead to him and that was about it and he's like what do you mean you're not knock tuning you're not spine indexing i'm like what are you talking about man (laughs) yeah he's like you're not building your own arrows you're not shooting you know a, a two degree helical i'm like what are you talking about? So he's got me really involved with it. So it's been a lot of tinkering of, do I shoot a four fletch and, mm-hmm. or a three fletch? And I'm, you know, constantly going back and forth and how many degree helical. And you can't just build it and look at it and quantify it. You have to shoot it. Yeah. You got to, it, it's a trial and error process. And that's the thing yeah. with very building arrows. I'm, I'm kind of fanatical myself. I get down to like how much glue I'm putting in. Yeah. You know, I get just crazy and it, 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 yeah, it can, uh, it can definitely consume you, but, and the same thing when I'm building, when I'm building arrows, they have to all be exactly the same. Yeah. If they're not exactly the same, like if I don't build them the exact same, I'll, I'll cut them off and start over. I just, well, I get fanatical about it. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's the whole rabbit hole of, you know, front of center and how much weight you have to shoot in. You know, everybody can have their own opinion on that. At the end of the day, I'm trying to build my setup to be the most Mm -hmm. forgiving setup possible. Because that's great that you can, you know, hammer a dime size spot at 60 yards when you're standing on the practice range. But that's not a hunting situation. Yeah, exactly. You just finished running up, up a hill and you're out of breath and the bull elk steps out or you're kneeling or... You got to take, you know, you're at full draw and you got to sidestep three feet. And now your anchor points all messed up and everything, yeah. right? So, yeah. And I think like most of my kills with a bow have been like, probably I'd say, I'd say three quarter, probably even more than that have been like off one knee or off my knees. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like crouching down, kneeling down, trying to get under, trying to get under a branch or a bush or just trying to creep around or you're like, you're always tipping around, t- you know, ducking around. Or like you said, you're, 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 you know, you're 
one foot's three foot or three feet higher than the other and you're side hilling it drawing back trying to get that that position and not only that as the animal moves you have to twist and make adjustments for it because it's not you know it's not just going to walk up in that opening and stop broadside and just say okay there you go oh you're 100 right and that's why i think these uh, outdoor 3d shoots are a great way to you know prep for hunting season because the footing isn't good yeah. the lighting isn't good um you know most of the shots are pretty clear of debris and and whatnot right and you got time to set up for them but you know i shot one course this summer and uh it just so happened that when we shot that course it was the most open course there was and we were battling like 40 kilometer an hour winds mm-hmm. and so now it's like how far do you aim off for that wind drift yeah yeah and unless and, you're practicing in, in trial and error you don't know right yeah yeah exactly and that's a good thing that i try to it's uh, pete and i we talk about all the time is if it's a windy day i look forward to those i'll actually go out and shoot in those opportunities because most of the time you're going to have a it's going to be a windy day especially you know if you're in the higher elevations and you know especially if you chase a mule deer and you get in those canyons and stuff in those valleys you're going to get a lot of wind moving through there so you have to be able to you have to be comfortable and confident shooting in those uh in those situations well and you know the mule deer hunting that i do is mostly you know cropland right Mm -hmm. well you're not going to stalk into 30 yards on a mule deer if it's dead silent so you're waiting for the wind you're praying for the wind yeah yeah and sometimes it comes in a little hotter than you want and Mm -hmm. you know but you get in close and and exactly right and what i'll do is i have a range set up at a ranch and uh you know if I shoot north south. So if I have a north south wind, I'll actually take my block target, like a little, you know, portable one, yeah. and I'll turn it. So I'm shooting east west in a crosswind, mm-hmm. and I'll start at 20 and work my way back, aiming at center and, you know, see what that wind drift is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you run on your arrows? Or this year you run on uh, four veins or three? So last year I started out with a, so I shoot the silent night veins. Um, well, I shoot flex fletch veins and I started mm-hmm. out with the silent night, which is a three inch vein. And I shot a two degree right helical. And I started off with a four fletch and I found that I was actually, they were spinning too much. Right. So then I dialed it back and I went with a different vein of theirs, which is called the SK two. So it's the exact same vein, just a two inch yeah, And I ran that in a two degree right helical in a four fletch and that worked great. Um, but this year I'm going to go with the three fletch uh, with the silent night, the three inch in a two degree right helical. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Last year I was running, uh, I had, I was running the, the airs of the AAE um, hybrids. I had four yeah. of them and uh, you know, I liked it. It was a good setup and it was working good with that. Last year I was shooting the, the Matthews 33, the VX the uh, three 33 yeah. this year i'm shooting the uh, pse omen yeah um and there's just not a lot of brace height and i got a hemsky epsilon on there and there's not a lot of brace height so actually the because it's such a short brace height with those longer veins that actually when i knocked the arrow on it the actually veins were were actually sitting on the arrow rest so it, it wouldn't work so i had to go back to a blazer vein but um you know i mean i've had a lot of success with the blazer veins so i'm definitely comfortable throwing three blazer veins on there yeah so the year before I shot those pack veins and they're super stiff and they fly really nice. But the problem I had is when I went and shot my cat, um, I got a pass through on my cat and it was so cold 
that the veins stayed glued to the wrap, but they all broke off. Oh and yeah. Just so brittle. And then yeah. even before that, I was chasing meal deer in the rut and I walked through um I was crawling through some buckbrush and my veins went across, you know, just one of those little shrub brushes and it snapped the veins off three of my arrows. So now I'm down to two arrows stocking in on you know 185 inch meal deer. I didn't feel super pumped about that. Yeah, yeah. I found it too with those with those flex veins that you know, in the colder months they got, or the colder hunts, they got really brittle. And here in the late whitetail season, um, yeah, you can have issues with them. Yeah. yeah no, so you're um, shooting, a, you're, but um, you've been shooting Bowtech for a while. Yeah. I, my first Bowtech was in 2018. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. For a while, you know, I've shot, I shot one Bowtech a, a long time ago. I've, 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 I get a new bow every year. And it, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of funny the, in this day and age, all the bows and the technology is so it's, it's so good. You can't really say that one bow is superior to any of them. Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Ford or Chevy, you know what I mean? Or Jeep or Dodge. It's, it's kind of just like personal preference and what you, what you prefer. And I mean, especially with all the makes and models, each bow company has now. And, um, you know, I, I, people always ask me, they're like, Oh, what's the best bow? And I'm like, well, it's not, what's the best bow. It's what's the best bow for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's some bows that I just cannot shoot. Like in Matthews is one of them. Yeah. For whatever reason. And I, I know what it is. Um, it's their grip. I cannot shoot a big grip. Mm-hmm. And that's just what uh, kills me on it. Um, the one thing that I really love about Botech and they, I haven't shot their new target bows, but on, they have that deadlock cam system. So I can broadhead tune my bow with an Allen key. Yeah. Which and paper tune it, but yeah, it's uh, that deadlock cam system. And now they went with on their uh, Reckoning Gen 2s. Um, they actually have a micro adjust timing on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's all just an Allen key setup. And, and yeah, man, it's crazy what they're doing with the cams these days. Like it just it yeah. blows your way like uh, how far they come and it's like every year it's like okay who's gonna make the big splash you know yeah. which bow company is gonna make the big splash because you know once they do every bow after that is gonna be doing the exact same thing you know in, in one way or another well PSE come out with that new uh cam shimming system yeah. this year yeah they got it on the ec2 cam yeah 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 it's on like their uh their new um Feel, what is it they got that new bow that just just came out um but yeah it's the ec2 cam and it's it's the same thing it was same principle um yeah it's really nice but yeah that uh that omen it yeah it's a speed speed freak i noticed compared and to that matthews i've never been one for speed and and the reason is is i find because i shoot fixed blade broadheads yeah and the faster you are i find the harder they are to control mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, for like sure. My my hunting setup is like two eighty five, yeah, feet per second there, but that's with a four hundred and sixty grain arrow. Yeah, yeah. So so what do you run in? Like, are are you big FOC guy? Uh no, I'm actually so I actually never calculated my FOC till just recently, and I was like mid. I think it was like eight point six. Oh yeah, yeah. So definitely Low. on the lighter end of things. Um, so this year I'm going with. Uh, it's called the gold tip force FOC arrow. Yeah. And so it's a little lighter on the GPI. Like last year I was 10 GPI. Um, this year I'm 8.8. So I'm going to run that 
Uh, I'm not going to wrap my arrows this year um, up on the veins. I'm going to drop the wrap as well. And then they have a really cool system. And I think Victory has it too, but they have weights that screw into the back of the inserts. Oh, yeah. And, and so I'm going to run, I think the inserts 12 grains, and then I'm going to run an additional 30 grains worth of weights screwed into it. Right. With a 100 grain um, field pointer broadhead. And I calculated I'm going to be, I think it's like 10.2 FOC with 455 grains. Right. Weight. Right. Um, and then what I did, like I shoot a standard diameter arrow. And my sole reason for that is I hate pissing around with inserts or outserts or half outs or hits or yeah i just give me a standard insert because i've never seen someone pull an arrow out of the 3d target and left the standard insert in like yeah it does well yeah some people do if they don't well on the field tip no it's impossible but i've seen guys that don't they don't clean their inside of their arrow properly and they go and glue it and it just sits in the dust and then the first time they throw it in their target they pull it out and the inserts and you know the the tip still sitting there and they're like then you look inside the arrow and you tap it and it's full of dust and you're like yeah you got to clean that (laughs) oh exactly but what i did because i i love lighted marks and you know there's so many benefits that I have found with them. Um, you know, you have a visual representation of where you hit that animal. Even if it's a midday spot in stock, if I miss, I won't even look from my arrow. I'll drive back out there at dark and walk right to my arrow and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. But what I did is I took uh, the standard Knox and my son, um, we got him a BB gun and we got him the 750 pack of BBs, but they fit perfectly inside the Knox. So I dropped three BBs in there and a dab of glue and it's one grain difference off my lighted knots. So when I go to 3D shoots or I'm tuning, I still have that 25, 26 grain weight at the back end. So I can tune, practice and nothing changes. Right, right. That's a good idea. Yeah, the lighted knocks are definitely helpful because I mean, if you can't find your arrow, it it just... uh... Well, if you can, it's like unsolved mysteries. You find your arrow and it's just like, you get so many questions that are answered if you can find your arrow. If you yeah. can't find it, man, you know, you're always, it, it just makes your life a lot harder if you can't find it, especially if you had it like, well, essentially if you had a hit, if you didn't have a hit and you know it, then, you know, it doesn't really make too much of a difference. But if you did hit an animal, it's definitely nice to find your arrow. And then, it, you know, it just tells you so much. Well, especially in your early season, like, you know, you're hunting pastures or whatever. And if it's grazed by cattle, you know, it's grazed down a bit. It's not the easiest place to find blood. So if you can see a goalie knock, walk to it, pick up your arrow, you now can see what kind of blood you got on. Yeah. Does it smell like gut? You know, is it covered in bubbles and, and whatnot, right? So you know whether you should give that animal a bit of time or follow it up right away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So do, Bowtech, do they have, uh, they run all aluminum risers? Well, there's any, do they have any carbon risers? Yeah, so they got two. They have um, the carbon icon. And then this is their first year of launching a flagship carbon bow. So it's called the Carbon One. Um, it's not, I'll be the first to tell you, it's not the lightest carbon bow on the market. I think it's four and a half pounds, 4.5 or 4.3 pounds um, because they have their deadlock cam system on it. So yeah. where that cam moves back and forth, it's aluminum. Um, they got their deadlock uh, cam pockets, and those are all aluminum. And it, it's funny because you see when they release their bow, and right away people are like, 
losing their mind on the internet. That's a four and a half pound carbon boat. And I just, I can't understand why people are so infatuated with, you know, half a pound or 0.7 pounds when they go and throw a front and back stabilizer on it, another eight ounces of weights on each of those, you know, sights, rest, quivers, arrows. Um, at the end of the day, that 0.7 pounds really doesn't make a difference. Right? No, but I mean, like even the Hoyt, I know Hoyt, Hoyt they, they uh, advertise that they're 3.9 and I've weighed them and they're over four. There's like yeah. 4.1. I have an RX-7 sitting right behind me and I weighed it and it was 4.1. And they, they advertise as, uh, as um, 3.9. And, and you're right though. I mean, that's like a bare bow is light yeah. compared to how it's done. Like if you, if you take your bow, when you come, when it comes out of the box, it's relatively light. Like it is light. It's a, it's a light, it's a light piece of equipment. Once you throw like every, once you throw your sight on, you know, you throw your, you know, you throw your rest on, you know, then you throw your sight on, right. And then you start doing all these, you're taking some shots and then you throw a stabilizer on, and then you got one coming out the back, right. And then you're shooting and then you take, you put your quiver on and you throw your arrows in it. You you're building, you're shooting with these small increments of weight added each time. Yeah. And if you were to grab the bow that you just had out of your box and your hunting setup, you're going to be like, Holy shit. It, it, you know, like you said, you're not going to notice that point point five or half a pound or anything. It doesn't, it's kind of irrelevant. So last summer I went on a mountain goat hunt, um, in BC, my bow was 9.8 pounds. That's what I packed in. Yeah. Like that's not even close to the advertised, you know, 4.4 pounds that it was. No. And I, and I mean, like that's, you know, that, that is a fair, you know, that's a fair weight for a bow, like a full bow yeah. setup. Once you have all, you know, once you got everything on it that, that you need and that you're comfortable to shoot with. I mean, if that's what you need, that's what you need. And I mean, like, you know, you, you could have, yeah, big deal. Say you had cut it all down and you're shooting six pounds, Yeah, but that's not what you need to get the job done. You need what you need to get the job done. And it is what it is. Well, it's just that like going into a mountain goat hunt, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you see the videos, and you hear guys talk as long as you get above them, you can kill them. Um, and I've seen guys shoot them at, you know, 10, 12 yards with a rifle, right? But I've also seen guys where, you know, the animal's 70 yards, but because of the angle, they're shooting, you know, 35 yards and it's across a shooter up a hill. And I'm like, I want to go into this hunt with the most forgiving and comfortable setup that I can shoot. I want to mm -hmm. be able to have a crosswind and hold that pin you know dead steady yeah yeah so do you do you do a lot of shooting with broadheads yeah 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 right on yeah so yeah, do I, I i do i i usually go through a target a year yeah i'm the same target or two i shoot i shoot try to shoot as much as i can with broadheads um just because i hate I hate messing around with them. I hate making the switch. Obviously, you know, you're doing three D's and you're doing other times. There's, there's times where you, there's time, well, there's time to practice with broadheads and there's times to put the field tips on, but whenever I can, I like to uh, shoot with the broadheads. Well, and I think that like what I do is, you know, at the start when I'm getting outdoors and I'm getting my broadheads tuned and tuning my boat, I'll shoot them pretty regular until I'm comfortable with where everything's set. And then I'll probably shoot them once a week after that. Um, yeah. And I'll just, you know, hammer the field points. And then, you know, once a week, I'll screw on some broadheads and just make sure everything's good. And the one thing that I, I was really bad for, and I think a lot of people are, 
is, you know, for us opening day, um, September 1st or late August, and you, you start hunting, but hunting isn't an activity where you get lots of shots. No. And not a lot of guys go back to the target. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not thinking about, you know, what my bow's hitting or, you know, did I bump my sight when I'm spotting and stalking? I'm focused on the hunt at that time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's where, you know, once a week, you know, we'll finish up a hunt in the morning and I'll head right out to the practice range to make sure um, nothing's moved. Yeah, I'm the same way. I am, I like, I'm pretty rough on all my gear. My bow, my bow is, you know, no exclusion. Yeah. And I, uh, there's been, there's half a dozen times where I have to adjust things because I've just banged it or bumped it or, you know, it got moved or, um, yeah, it just happens. But I try to shoot. Obviously, you know, if you're on a, if you're out, say you're on like a goat hunt and, you know, you're not, packing a target in with into the mountains with you but as soon as i get an opportunity to get back i'm definitely i'm um, definitely putting some arrows down range just See, double I, checking i did pack a target in oh did you? <laughs> yeah so there there's a company out of alberta called grizz targets and they actually partnered with um in development of a pretty big name in the sheep hunting world and they built a backpacking uh broadhead target and i i think it's maybe at most 12 inches by 12 inches and but it's only two inches thick oh yeah the idea is is you hang it from a limb or something so when you hit it it will swing yeah absorb a bunch of yeah but they actually built it um in a way that it doubles as as a glassing pad so oh yeah to pack a little glassing pad and so whenever we left camp i always had that with me because that that's what i would sit on um, yeah, well, that's handy as hell. I'll check them out. Yeah, I, I didn't weigh it or anything, but uh, you know, it's really easy too. Like even the one day, um, there was no trees. We were way above tree line, and I just kind of built a little thing out of rocks and had it uh, stuck in there. And when I shot, it just kind of flipped over. And I mean, the arrow really—it didn't go over halfway through. And I mean, the broadhead got dulled up when it hit the rocks and and whatnot. Yeah. But um, to me that's you know a small sacrifice to make to make sure oh yeah yeah there's not there like that and that's my biggest fear too is like man you know you put so much time and effort and everything into this for you to not just take the time quickly and just to make sure that your 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 unit is operating the way that you have you want it to be that would just be crushing especially if you're oh. you know there's a once in a lifetime opportunity on an animal that you've you know you've waited your whole life for and then to miss where it's one thing to miss from human error, but to miss yeah. when your when your equipment isn't working, not, not, not that it's not working. It's just not set up the way you had it set up. And yeah. I mean, like, you know, like shit happens, things get bumped, they get banged. They get, it's a, you know, it's a rough activity. You're, you're walking, you're stalking through the bush. You're, you know, you're hitting trees, bumping trees, shit happens. So well, yeah, that's be- another thing that like my, I was talking about my uh, buddy Jordan there. That's the archery nerd. Um, and literally he sets up all my bows because the biggest thing that I never really paid attention to was your third axis on your mm-hmm. site. And, uh, when he heard I was going on a cat hunt, he's like, Hey, did you level your third axis? I'm like, what are you talking about? And it actually happened at a 3d shoot is where you brought it up. Cause there was a couple of shots where, you know, they're pretty steep downhill, pretty steep uphill. And I was always hitting to the left. 
right like, yeah did you level your third axis and like my third what yeah and uh it was good because yeah that you know a couple months later i went on that cat hunt and um had i not leveled my axis i i would have you know not hit that cat as good as i did and it could have turned out a lot worse so yeah and i and i feel like you know i I don't even remember the term third axis, you know, like 2007, like 16, 17. I don't even remember that people using the term third axis. And like you very, like I specifically don't remember any site that I had in my hands or that somebody else was using at the time that had an adjustment to, you know, that had, so you could adjust your third axis, but now like any decent bow, you know, it, it has the adjustment for the third axis on it now. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. And I haven't got to one yet, but I really want to do one of those uh, tax shoots, the total archer challenge. Yeah. They have down in the States here. Um, I've had some buddies have gone down to Big Sky, Montana, and that, those courses down there just look so unforgiving. Yeah. And they're rude about it too. Like they'll put a little one of those mini bears out at 60 yards in a pile of rocks. And if you don't, oh, yeah. your arrows trashed. Oh yeah, yeah. They they don't give a shit. And yeah, I've I've talked to uh, to a number of guys that have gone have gone to them, and they they say they yeah they're uh, they're a lot of fun. They'll you you got your your skills got to be honed. You're not you're not going there and warming up. That's for sure. You want to have a few under your belt for the year before you hit that up. Well, what just, about uh, what about injuries and stuff? You ever go through any injuries in archery? Yeah, um, want to say it was 2020. Uh, so what happened was is. I was working night shift. I got off night shift at 6.30 in the morning and headed straight out hunting. And I spotted some elk in there going towards one of my stands. And so I, I drove up the road, got probably half a mile in front of them, parked my truck, jumped out, and I was running through. And in the pasture, it was kind of one of those dried up swampy areas where the cattle step in the swamp and it makes the little bumps and whatnot pitch black and i tripped and i rotated my body and because i wanted to save my boat and i drove my right shoulder into the ground and right away it it didn't hurt i got i got up and i was fine i ran up there and um the elk ended up skirting me and i didn't get a shot but the next day it got a little sore and it kept going on and i was like i went all through hunting season um and it really hurt to pull my boat and it, you know, because of adrenaline, it only hurt when I was practicing, but when it comes yeah. down to it, it yeah. you didn't feel it. But I actually ended up going and getting cortisone shots in my shoulder. Oh, you did, eh? And that helped? Yeah. yeah I, the day after, I never felt pain. I haven't felt pain since. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the reason I asked, yeah, I got, uh, I had an accident and uh, I got some shoulder injury. Left one more than the right one, but they're both pretty stiff. I haven't been able to draw my, I tried today, I could draw back, but I'm just like, you know what, if I, if I don't put this bow down, yeah. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to send a hundred arrows because I, you know, it's like when you don't shoot your bow for a while and then you grab it and you're like, you get, you just, you want to shoot the freaking thing. You like, yeah. you want to shoot, you want to shoot, you want to shoot. And so I had to like, I, pulled it back. And I was like, I got to put this thing down. Cause I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to throw a hundred arrows at this target. And then tomorrow I'm going to be back where I was two weeks ago, which isn't going to help anything. It's just going to prolong this, this, this agony on longer than it has, but I got to go see the physio tomorrow. So hopefully he's got some, uh, hopefully he can fix me up, doctor well, me up. 
And although it's not me, I got to see firsthand um, this past season the disappointment of not being able to go home because of injuries. And uh, that was my grandpa. So, I mean, given he's going to be 81 in March, um, but he still bow hunts. Um, but, you know, he's been a farmer his whole life, and that's not easy on your body. No. But this year, he was really struggling. It's not even to pull his bow back. It's to hold it up. Oh, yeah. And so his, his he's left-handed, so it's his right arm. Um, and when he draws back, not only does he have trouble holding it up, but he has trouble with his shoulder collapsing on him when he right. goes back. Yeah. And, you know, he just didn't want to go hunting because he's, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm just going to screw the stand up because I'm going to, I'm going to be flailing around like a chicken in the stand trying to get this thing drawn. And, and so, uh, you know, those injuries just really hinder a person and we're going through the paces to get him his crossbow. And, and he's really torn about that though. Cause all his life, he's like, Oh, you can't hunt with a compound bow. You shouldn't get a crossbow. And he's been very, very vocal about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, it's, it's for the people who shoot their bow all the time and who bow hunt, they, you, you, you know what it's like. It, it's like, it just becomes something that you just like, you need to do. You become so obsessed and it takes over. And like, when you can't do it, I couldn't even imagine. Like if I, if I couldn't bow hunt, I mean, obviously you, I could hunt with a rifle, but I mean, I, I, I probably would if I had, you know, if I had to, just because I got, I loved hunting, you know what I mean? I live it comes down to hunting, hunting or not hunting. I would take hunting. Yeah. But I mean, I just love to bow hunt. Like I love everything about it. I love the process of bow hunting. I love bow hunting on January 1st, just because it's, it's, it's every day leading up to the day where you're going to bow hunt. You know what I mean? I love the process to me. It's just, it's, it's just such this romantic chemistry between, you know, your preparation and your hunt. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And and that's what I told him to. And I said, look, you're actually becoming unethical to try and continue to hunt mm-hmm. for the compound bow, because if you're struggling to pull it back and you got to get your shot off fast before your shoulder collapses, you're not going to be aiming properly. You're going to be wounding animals. I'm like, you want to continue to hunt so why not continue to hunt with the means that allow you to? Right. Yeah. I'm like, and even I've talked with a number of friends. I don't know if, you know, for running gun situations on the ground with elk, I actually think a crossbow would be at a disadvantage. They're big, they're bulky. Mm-hmm. I can move pretty quick through trees with my bow. I don't know if I could do the same with a crossbow. Yeah. And I like the point you talked about their ethical, cause that's, that's you're 100% right. Like to do, to force, to, to do something that you're not where you can't do it the way you've done it your whole life. And like what, it, what needs to be done in that specific way to, to make an ethical kill on the animal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then absolutely 100%. But it, again, I mean, you're 80, you're in your eighties. Yeah. You know, uh, eventually, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm only halfway to 80. So I got a long, you know, I got a long way to go, but I mean, eventually there's going to come to a point where you're going to have to, you know, face the facts and be like, you know what, I'm not, I just, I can't do it. I can't pull my bow back anymore. It's funny. My cousin, he, he was my mentor and he, he's older. He's in his fifties and he's always shot like an 80 or 90 pound bow, but he physically can't pull it back anymore. And so he just won't shoot his bow. And I'm like, so you're just not going to shoot your bow 
because you're so freaking stubborn that you have to shoot it at 80 or 90 pounds. You have it in your head that you have to shoot this pound. I'm like, why don't you just shoot 50 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, right. he's such a stubborn ass though. He just won't do it. In 2020, my grandpa, he was 79. Uh, no, he's 78. And he shot a 280 inch five by five bull elk. And that arrow stuck out the other side of the elk six inches. And he was shooting 42 pounds. Oh yeah, man. Like, yeah. He, for like 45 pounds is easy yeah. enough to kill, you know, to kill an animal, to go through a pasture yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and I get the notion, like you read on online on forums or whatever, and people are like, it doesn't matter how much weight you pull, as long as you put the arrow where it needs to go. Exactly. That's great. But as we know, bow hunting doesn't always go as well. Mm-hmm. And I will always shoot the highest weight that I can comfortably shoot to give me the best chances when it doesn't go to plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm the same way. Like I shot for a couple of years there, I was shooting 80 pounds. Yeah. I'm back at 70 now. Um, just because I shoot my bow so much, I just, uh, I'm just more comfortable shooting a 70 pound day and, you know, hundred arrows a day. I just prefer the 70 over the 80. Plus, you know, I was shooting that the, the boys that were shooting, they weren't, I picked, it's funny because I picked them up when I was cleaning out, I, I drew them back and I was like, holy crap, man, these things are ornery. You get these, the older cams, the smaller cams on them and, you know, and the, and the, the, the limbs and before they had split or uh, before they had split limbs and then, yeah. Well, the biggest, so I shot an 80 pound bow. It was uh, a lead answer and I shot it from 2013 to 2018. And the biggest reason I went back to 70 pounds is I was so limited on my bow selection. Yeah. 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 There's not a lot. There's not. And the thing, yeah, exactly. You don't have a lot of options when you're shooting an 80 pound or a 90 pound bow. And, um, especially if you're picking them out of the store they're not gonna, it's just such a hard market. Why would they? And you, and I get it, right. They're not going to have it. They're not going to have a bunch of 80 pound bows sitting in their stores just in case the guy decides to come and buy one. Well, and then on top of that, I have a 30-inch draw. So, you know, at 80 pounds, depending on how much weight I put up front, I'm either a 250 spine or a 200 spine. Yeah, hard to get arrows. And so now you're limited on arrows. Like, yeah, I found some really good arrows and, you know, they shut it down at 300 spines. So if I want to shoot those arrows at 250, I'm... Yeah, you're, you're screwed. Else. Yeah, then, yeah. well, and, and yeah, exactly. Now you're starting from scratch again. Yeah. Yeah, and I and exactly right. And that's one of the things too about art that archery with arrows and everything, especially you could be going, you know, say it's it's August, you've been shooting this one setup all year, yeah. and all of a sudden, yeah, you can't find it. You, you know, you're you're like, oh, you know what? I, I'm gonna need some more arrows for hunting because you know these ones are getting kind of I've shot these ones a lot. You know, they hit wood a couple of times. I kind of pulled out, you know, I was pretty rough pulling them out and they're kind of wobbly. And then you go to buy arrows and you can't find any. Yeah. And now you're at, now you're starting from scratch in the middle of August and you're like, ah, and archery is such a rabbit hole. Like I spent an hour and a half on the phone last night. I already have the arrows. I already have, you know, the inserts and the weights. Um, but I spent an hour and a half on the phone with Jordan trying to talk about how I can figure my arrow setup. Should I put 30, 30 grains up front, 20 grains up front, like, it is so overwhelming for a oh, new archer to walk yeah. in and get on, you know, archery talk or bow oh. site or Facebook and people are bantering back and forth. You need, you know, 20% FOC and shoot mechanicals. Don't shoot mechanicals. And it is overwhelming. Oh yeah. It's man. overwhelming for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much. And like, we, we cover a lot of archery stuff on this show and, you know, you get, you get different perspectives and different, I like everybody has their own, like everybody's going to like, not every, nobody's on the exact same page in terms of archery. Everybody has their own beliefs and what they use and how they do it is, you know, and it's always the way to do it. Right. So you get a lot of, you you get, I get a lot of feedback. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like for new guys, Jesus, like I tell people, I'm like, don't even worry about that. Don't even worry about any of that. Just worry about this. Your setup you have now, your setup good. Worry about putting 10,000 arrows downrange and then start to worry about all this other crap that's going on. Worry about just getting arrows downrange. Worry about, you know, worry about your worry about your draw cycle, your anchor. Just worry about getting every single shot so it's the exact same every time you're doing it. And don't worry about the little things because your hands are different than mine. We're not going to shoot the exact same. My shoulders are a different size than yours. My head, my neck's longer. Everything, there's so many, everybody's different. Just worry about getting the fundamentals down and then getting your process and repeating that process over and over and over. So like when you go to do it, it's like breathing. You don't even think about it. You just do it. Well, and if you just look at the controversial topics on the internet, so there's fixed plates and mechanicals, um, single pin or multi-pin whisker biscuit or drop away yeah like there's so foc that is a huge rabbit hole um poundage on bows like well it never ends aluminum carbon bracite cam size like every like uh, axle to axle like it just it never ends it's like you said it's an ongoing rabbit hole that just never never ends well and one of the big things that i've been kind of vocal about is i'm a big advocate for fixed plate broadheads yeah but my first-hand experience so we our family runs an outfitting business and i've seen a lot of uh expandable failures to the point that we tell our clients you're not bringing expandables to this to our hunt uh but that i almost feel that i have to reevaluate that because when we made that rule it was a lot of the really early on expandable broadheads uh you can't argue the success that some of these higher end expandable broadheads are producing the one that i've seen that you know was really intriguing to me is that sever broadhead um you know guys are killing elk moose with them we've had some really bad experience with breach broadheads the one thing i don't know about those situations were are they the rages from the store, you know, from your archery shop or were they the Chinese knockoffs that they ordered off eBay? Right. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's but, so, you don't really know the full story. And like I've yeah. shot almost like I've shot so many different types of broadheads. I've shot mechanical fixed. I've had, I've shot those rages. I've killed animals with those rages and I've had a failure with those rages and they're the actual rages. So the I one- mean, the ones that we've seen the biggest failure with on elk and moose is the ones that deploy front to back. And the failures that we see is on the quartering shots because the one blade's opening first and it'll actually change the path of the arrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, and like you said, it's just, it's, it's an ongoing, but you know, that's what I love about archery. You know, I, it, it's, I just love, I just love how involved, I love how passionate bow hunters are like archers are. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just love it. It's, it's just awesome to see. And I love getting in those conversations because I love just hearing everyone's different point of view. And I mean, whether you agree with it or not, it's just, it's just fun to get involved in those conversations. 
Well, and the one that I was against forever and now I would never go back is I always shot a cable-driven drop-away because, you know, the string to pull your uh, drop-away on a cable-driven is, you know, five, six inches long yeah. versus a limb-driven, which is basically half your axle axle. Yeah. Now I've shot a limb-driven and setting it up is so easy. And if something goes wrong in the field, you can set it up quite easily again. Uh-huh. Um and I was always like, yeah, I don't want another string that's half the length of my bow to get caught up on something. Well, I've hunted now a full season with it, and I never once had that issue. Yeah, so my yeah. predetermined notion of what's going to be an issue wasn't even an issue. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I shot, yeah, I've shot both this year. I'm that I got the hamski, and it's a limb-driven, which, yeah, super easy to set up. I mean, you've got to make a couple of small adjustments at the beginning just where you place it on your on your limb. But other than that, yeah, super easy to set up. Speaking of them, did you uh, did you see their new product they dropped? No, it just came out? Yeah, 2023. So it actually clips on your um, arrow, and it's a 360-degree level. Um, helps you set, set your rest height or your D-loop. Um, yeah, it kind of plays in accordance with their, their sight level now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I'm a big believer in, like, I like my D-loop centered between my two axles. Yeah. I just like it. I like it so everything's a perfect triangle that, so, you know, you're not getting any, you're not getting a longer, if you have, if you think of a triangle that's got three sides, all those three sides, you know, or like the two sides are perfectly, it's a perfect triangle. And then where you're not having one side that's longer than the other, cause your D loops a little higher or lower. Cause I know like we've talked, we've had guys on the show, some guys swear, like you got to put your, you know, you got to arrows got to be in the center of the burger hole or the top of the arrow has to be in the center of burger hole or no, the bottom of the arrow has to be in the center of the burger hole or actually knowing actually bottom of your arrow has to be on the top of the burger hero like burger hole like you get so many different you get everyone's different views of what they've done over and over hundreds of times right but myself personally i like i like it right between the two axles where i can get that you know a perfect triangle on both up you know, like a, a perfect triangle to me the way i look at it is that's what you want you want the same amount of pull on above your d loop as you have from the bottom of your d loop so you you said you shot the V3X33? Yeah. Did you still center it? Um that one no I couldn't I had to set I had to uh I had to run that one I had that one so I had it centered the uh the, my arrow was centered through the middle of the bottom of my arrow was centered through the middle of my burger hole. Yeah, I was going to say because one of their big advancements in technology was putting the grip lower the riser. Yeah, yeah, so I was like yeah. okay, so what'd you do there? Right. Yeah, no, there I had to drop it down, but yeah. you know, if I can get away with it, like on the PSC, I can put it where I'd like to, where I like, where I prefer to put it anyway. But yeah, on that one, because of the grip, you had I had to put it low. But that one, I just put, uh, and I was running a QAD on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, uh, I shot QAD forever. I shoot uh, the ripcord drive cage now, um, but those hamskies, man, those are good rests. Yeah, pay for them but they're good. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're, it, it was about the same as that QAD is about the same. Now they have like the, if you, if you go with the QAD to fit on the dovetail for like the Hoyt or the Matthews, yeah, they're running about the same price as the, as the Hemsky. So, um, yeah, yeah. I know I'll shoot that PSC when I was talking to a couple of guys that are, you know, they, they, uh, they shoot for PSC. They were telling me that I should be shooting, uh, 
shooting the prophecy, the AE prophecy. They said that's a good one with that. They've had a lot of people, a lot of people who run the PSC run that prophecy, but um, I went with the Hemski. Yeah. And that's, that's what my buddy Jordan shoots and um, he loves it. And, you know, I shot that record and I didn't have, you know, it didn't fail on me. I didn't have any issues with it. I just was a. Yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Only time I've ever had an issue with a drop away is when I, 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 I must have brushed up against a tree or a branch or it hit something and it actually bent oh, on the QAD. It actually, it, it, it hit the pin and it actually bent it. So it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't dropping away properly. It was, yeah. it was sticking, but I mean, that's, you know, that's shit like that's going to happen no matter what. And that, that'd be my only complaint about a limb driven rest is I can't lock it up like a cable driven rest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. That is one thing that's really nice about um, the QAD or the or like the prophecy is that you can you know you can get your you can get your D loop or you can knock your arrow on your D loop and then you can just you can flick it down so now it's it's in its set position it's got less chance of moving around or rattling around. Yeah, you uh, you shoot a handheld, don't you? What's that? A handheld release or a wrist strap. I shoot uh yeah, thumb release. Thumb release? Yeah. There's I can't even remember the company that builds it, but um I bought one this year and it's a little it's a really hard rubber thing that sticks onto the release. And man, that was a game changer for spot and stock because the way it works is you clip your release on the D loop and then you have this little rubber piece that's stuck on the handheld and it clips onto your string. Oh yeah. And so your release isn't flopping around while you're doing spot and stock or, um, you know, even walking through the trees or, or whatever there. Yeah, that's handy. I shoot a Carter. I shoot a Carter insatiable, but I okay, cut yeah. I cut it down. So it's just two fingers rather than the three. I don't like the three finger. Oh, okay. I, uh, I shoot the Carter wise choice. Yeah, Carter used to make a two-finger one, and then they stopped making it, and I lost mine, and I couldn't get another one, so I went with the Insatiable, and I just cut, I cut them both down. So they uh, they still make a two-finger. Do they? Yeah, it's called the knock to it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I tried those. I I didn't like them. I don't like the ring, the ring oh, finger. Okay, yeah, yeah. I like it open. My finger doesn't fit in the like doesn't fit in the ring properly. So the one I shoot is basically a knock to it, but it's a three finger. Oh yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, again, it's like, it's it, whatever you, whatever you're comfortable shooting, shoot. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing with the Carters. They're, they're loud. Yeah. When they click. They're loud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing about the Carter and it, and it, and, uh, so like when you're whitetail, like when I'm whitetail hunting, a lot of the time I'll just clip it on, I'll clip it on my D loop and let it hang there. Yeah, but I've I've got it, I've got them dialed so down. They're so touch. My trigger is so touchy. Like you can breathe on it, and it'll set it off. So I got to really be careful of how much I'm moving around because it'll. I've done it lots of times where you just you move your bow a little bit, and it just the thumb just touches the touches the cable or the and it just pops off. And then you're down at the bottom looking for your release. You're trying to find where your release is. So, do you move your thumb? To activate your thumb trigger or do you pull through it? I pull through it like a back tension. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what I typically do is like at this time of the year, I'll, I'll go in like my front yard. I've got it so I can shoot 70 yards, but like this time of the year, I don't do it mostly because it's dark by the time I get home from work. But the nice thing about it is it allows me to, to like basically start from scratch and like go through, start working on like all the bad habits I picked up over the, over the fall. Like I'll go through my D you know what I mean? I'll go through just my process, my drop, you know, my drawing back, my anchor, go through everything. There's just the fundamentals, getting that muscle memory back to where I want it. Yeah. Um, and what I'll do is I'll shoot, like I'll take my bat with, I'll take my, um, I'll take my release and I'll just, I'll shoot that a couple times. Right. Yeah. And then I'll switch back to my thumb release and I'll do the exact same thing, do that over and over. And I'll do the same thing. I'll go from one release to the other. And I've made them. So they're basically, they feel the exact same in my hand. Yeah. So I've, I've kind of modified them. So, so they're the exact same. So I really don't notice any difference. The, the point of that is I want that same motion with my thumb release, but I want the ability to, I, when I, when it clicks and I'm in a hunting position, I'd rather have it where, I have the ability I can just draw back if I have to, and I don't have to worry about, you know, that arrow going off if I, if I'm drawing back and my wrist slips the wrong way or something happens. So, yeah, that, I, but I know guys who shoot that, who shoot those releases and like hunt with yeah, them. They're, I don't know how, like I'm the same as you. I want the thumb because I want to be able to pull through it, but in hunting, if I need to, I'll cheat. Yeah. So I'll draw back. And, you know, if that animal's walking and I need to stop it, I'll pull into my bow a little bit and then I'll dump it with the thumb. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't know how you could be constantly pulling to get, you know, whether you have a click or not, um, to dump it when, you know, an animal's moving through the trees or takes a step or turns or you just, you have to know when it's going to go. Yeah. I know. I'm not there. (laughs) <laughs> no well yeah and i yeah it, 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 they tell me this and they're, i'm like man you got you're nuts like you're just like and i always wonder i'm like when's if you gotta like there's just so many there's so many variables when you're hunting and it's nice yeah. that's why i don't you know that's why i only that's why i like the thumb release but that's why i also like to practice with both of them just so i can keep that you know just so you practice that proper range of like the proper range of motion and pulling through it but yeah in a hunting situation whenever they tell me this and i'm just like oh man you're crazy i don't i just i i I don't like it. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind shooting with it. I'm totally, you know, I, it's all good, but in a hunting situation, there's just, man. Yeah. Like you say, it's just nice to have that option. Absolutely. And that's even in 3d and in the outdoor, you know, you get in a windy situation and that's what I do is I'll come back to full draw. I'll anchor. And if it's windy and I'm getting too much movement, I'll just pull into it a bit and then I'll put my thumb on the trigger. And yeah. then, you know, when I'm close, I'll, I'll just dump it. Right, right. But I can tell when I'm getting lazy because if I'm not pulling into it, what happens is my hand will shoot out from my face. And, you know, at 40 40 yards, I'll be four or five inches left. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we were talking about that. Pete and I were talking about a couple of episodes ago is that when when you shoot enough arrows, you can tell right away what you're doing wrong, when you did it wrong, and basically by the time that arrow even gets down to your target, you know. It's like a golf like hitting a golf ball you can just tell when you had a bad shot yeah um i just did some googling here quickly uh the thing i was talking about it's it's made by total peep is uh is the company total peep okay cool yeah i'll look it up i'll throw that down in the show notes too good one uh one word to the caution i didn't realize this um so i ordered four of them uh just to have a couple backups 
but yeah. they come in a two pack. So now I've eight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you got, you're good then for a while. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, yeah. dude. I think I'll wrap this up. We've been chatting yeah, for quite absolutely. a bit. Uh, it was good talking to you and uh, we'll have to get you back on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely been staring at your mountain goat this whole time. We're, we're going to go again this year. So that's. Yeah. That's well, good luck. Now. Yeah. BC is the place to go. If you want to go goat hunting, BC is the place to go. Yeah, so for real, well, real quickly, just uh, hit up all the listeners and uh, tell them where they can find you. Uh, yeah, you can. I got a page there on Instagram, KSS Bowhunter, and then uh, started dabbling in the TikTok world, making TikToks of my videos through hunting season, and that's KSS Bowhunter as well. So, Yeah, cool, and I'll put links to all that. Okay, buddy, thanks a lot. Yeah. Eh? It's, uh, it's good to finally catch up. Yeah, absolutely. You have yourself a great evening, and thanks so much. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about hunting and archery. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, man, later. All right, have a good night. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into the Focus Hunting Podcast, coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoors production. Pete and I wanted to thank all you guys, the listeners, for tuning into the overpassed 100 episodes of the show. This journey has been a lot of fun for both Pete and I, and we couldn't do it without your guys' support, so we really value that. And uh, you're going to notice a bunch of promo codes down in the show notes. Use them, save a bunch. Love you guys. Until the next time. Mm-hmm.